Hi everyone, the reason why this episode is a few days late is because I had been sick the last week and I just didn't have enough energy to record. So, on with the story of Thomas Svekla. This show is for adult listeners and may contain harsh language, sexual content against a minor, and violence. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is dedicated to Edmonton True Crime. This is episode 12. My sources are Edmonton Journal, CTV, and Saltwire.com. RCMP testimony in the case against accused prostitute killer Thomas Svekla has brought to light previously unknown details about the case of 13 women investigated by Project Care Task Force. It is one of the most haunting photos in Edmonton Journal archives. A picture of Thomas Fekla dressed in green camouflage jacket and tinted brown sunglasses, smiling tauntingly at the camera, his finger held to his lips. Shh, he seems to be saying, I've got a secret. What were Fekla's secrets? The question this week seems as grim as depressing as ever. That infamous picture was taken by journal photographer Greg Southam in May 2006. Svekla was leaving the Fort Saskatchewan courthouse where he had just made his first appearance after his arrest for the murder of Teresa Inez, an Edmonton sex trade worker. Svekla had been carrying her body stuffed in a hockey bag. Svekla, a 39-year-old mechanic, is accused of second-degree murder and interfering with human remains in the death of Rachel Quinney, 19, and Teresa Inez, 36. Quinney's mutilated naked body was found in a wooded farmer's field near Fort Saskatchewan in June 2004. Cordes Hertz Fekla told police he discovered Quinney's body while smoking crack with another prostitute. Svekla was eventually convicted for Inez's murder, but the Crown failed to convict him of the murder of Rachel Quinney. The murder of Inez, along with Svekla's three separate convictions for sexual assault, were enough to have him deemed a dangerous offender and locked up indefinitely. He remained a suspect in other cases. But legally speaking, whatever our suspicions, and however much Svekla might look like our Hollywood idea of a serial killer, we can't actually call him that. This week, RCMP announced they positively identified human remains found on a rural property east of the Duke near Raleigh View as those of Corey Renee Odenbreit, a sex worker who went missing in 2004. The year before, Odenbreit had left a DNA sample on file with Project Care, the special task force which had been set up to investigate the deaths of women living what are euphemistically termed high-risk lifestyles. Now we go back and look for anyone that may have had an opportunity to either commit a homicide or transport a body, said RCMP Inspector Gibson Galvin. Anybody who could have done that would need to be eliminated now, and that would include Mr. Svekla. Four days after Otenbright disappeared, another sex trade worker, Dolores Brower, went missing. Her remains were discovered on the same piece of property as Otenbright's April 2015. Two women working in the trade in the same city who disappeared within days of each other and whose bodies were found in the same out-of-the-way spot hidden so carefully they weren't found for more than a decade. That much coincidence would defy common sense. It would be illogical to assume the cases weren't connected. Odenbright and Bauer weren't the only women whose bodies were found in the same area. Edna Bernard died in 2002. Her burnt body was found in the woods near Raleigh View Road outside Leduc. 
Katie Ballantyne, 40, disappeared in May 2003. Her body was found in a field east of Leduc three months later. Oldenbright, Bauer, and Ballantine were all found within the same 8-kilometer radius. According to RCMP, Bernard's body was found another 8 kilometers away. For investigative reasons, which they can't discuss, the RCMP aren't connecting Bernard's death to those of Odenbright, Bauer, and Ballantine. Still, back in 2006, as court records demonstrate, Speckler was considered a suspect in all their deaths, as well as those of Bernadette Akinhu, Debbie Lake, Monique Petrie, and Melissa Munch. Their remains were all found in rural locations east and south of Edmonton. It would certainly be neat and tidy if we could make Sveckler our all-purpose boogeyman, our local version of Robert Picton. It would be comforting to assume we already got our serial killer off the streets. But life is not a movie script. It's far more confusing and more ugly. Neat and simple answers don't come before the credit roll. Because women at risk, many, though not all, indigenous women have kept disappearing. The body of Brianna Danielle Torvalson, for example, another young sex trade worker, was found in rural Strathcona County in 2008, after Speckler was already in custody. Two years later, Amber Takaro disappeared. Her remains were found in 2012, in the same general area as Odenbreit's, Bowers, and Ballantine's. Whoever killed her, it wasn't Thomas Speckler. I'm sure, though, Speckler's enjoying all this media attention. Back in 2006, he gleefully mugged for the cameras, smiling and waving in his handcuffs like some kind of sick parody celebrity. Now he is getting more of what he craved, attention, and this column, I'm afraid, only adds to that. Serial killers obsess us. They've haunted our popular culture and imagination since the days of Jack the Ripper, but however frustrating it may be, not to have any easy answers, we can't jump to easy conclusions. We must let the RCMP investigate and hope, for the sake of all those grieving families, that one day there will be answers. According to transcripts of police interviews released by the Crown on Friday, members of the RCMP task force broke the news to Thomas Feckler upon his arrest in May 2006 after the dismembered body of Teresa Inez was found in his hockey bag. What you need to be aware of, Tom, is that you're also suspect in the following homicide investigations. Bernadette Akinu, Edna Bernard, Debbie Lake, Monique Petrie, Melissa Munch, Sylvia Ballantyne, and Rachel Quinney, our Sam Constable John Respite said. You're also suspect in the following missing persons investigations. Corey Odenbright and Dolores Bauer. Asked if he had any questions, Feckler told police, I just want to scream. Criminal profilers and police have said that they believed a single killer may be responsible for the deaths of at least seven and as many as 12 Edmonton prostitutes over the last 18 years. Feckler is to go on trial February 19th before a judge alone on two charges of secondary murder in the deaths of Innes and Quinney. Parts of the transcripts, which cover 40 hours of interrogation, may be entered as evidence during the trial. Portions released to the media were edited by Svekla's lawyer, the Crown, and the RCMP. 
The media were cautioned that the transcripts may contain minor inaccuracies. During the interrogations conducted between 2004 and 2006, Svekla, a self-described crack cocaine addict, told Mountings that he was capable of committing hideous crimes, but that he never quite confessed to killing anyone. It's hard because I got all the guilt. I'm carrying that guilt. I've done some bad things in my life, but I didn't do this crime. In one exchange, Svekla told RCMP that he found a decomposing body in his truck, wrapped in a deflated air mattress, and placed it in his hockey bag. He said he wanted to get rid of it over the fear he would be blamed. He drove south to Edmonton area from high level in May 2006, but he said he didn't know who the victim was. Despite repeated questioning, all he would say is that someone was trying to set him up. He couldn't explain why he drove the body 700 kilometers to his parents' home in Fort Saskatchewan. After hours of interrogation, he appeared resigned, wondering if he would be sentenced to 25 years. My life's freaking over anyway, he said. I would have buried the person, I would have picked a nice spot that would have been done, and I would have saved my ass because I know my ass is in a sling now, and I hurt a lot of people. Svekla blamed family members, friends, and acquaintances for his legal troubles, telling police that he wasn't loved or valued when he was growing up. He boasted of his sexual history in numerous relationships, calling himself the Don Juan of high level, but acknowledged that he didn't really like women. He admitted to picking up about 30 prostitutes over a five-year period. You know, you mimic the way what you see when you're a kid, right? Oh, they're bitches, they're whores, he said. During a polygraph test, Svekla admitted he hurt many people in the past, including women whom he had romantic relationships. But he repeatedly insisted to police that he had nothing to do with Quinny's death beyond stumbling upon her body in 2004 in a rural area east of Edmonton. Did you kill Rachel Quinney? asked Sergeant Tim Yamlin. I did not, Speckler replied, but then went on to tell police that he was positive she was assaulted somewhere else after looking at the injuries on her badly battered body. He also said that Quinny's death changed his life, but he didn't explain how. And he said he would like to meet her parents. Many of the former tire store mechanics' answers to police questions were vague and rambling. He told police they should get forensic samples from a farm near Sherwood Park, where he and other men lured prostitutes with the promise of drugs. Svekla said a man with the street name of Dino wanted him to keep the women in line if they got paranoid or flipped out. Comes to a point where they have to be physically, you know, restrained, he said. He wants me to beat them up, but I won't do that. Name by name, RCMP asked him about all the missing women in the Edmonton area, and he denied knowing many of them or recognizing their pictures. He did admit to having picked Monique Petrie up one morning on an Edmonton street and taking her to a parkade on a date. RCMP appeared to follow up on twists and turns in their questioning, but always came back to how Enos' body got into his hockey bag. Svekla steadfastly stuck to his story that he was set up. Because I'm known around high level, he said. People think I'm a rapist. I hate women. Murderer, he said. I portray myself as a gangster. The decision in the court of Queen's Bench on Thursday 
is the end of the legal odyssey for Thomas Fekla, 42, a one-time mechanic who once boasted about being a serial killer. Mr. Fekla has a pathology for which there is no cure, just as Christine Esvick said in her ruling. It's remarkable the number of people he has injured or harmed. She found that his sexual violent past and his lack of progress in treatment suggests that he probably would offend again within the next 10 years. I don't believe there's a possibility for meaningless change for Svekla, Edvik said. Svekla looked impassively at the judge before he glanced at his family, smiled wanly, and shrugged his shoulders. The dangerous offender designation is used in extreme cases against those whose history of violent crimes, particularly against children, and whose risk of reoffending are such that keep them in jail is the only way to protect others from them. Once designated a dangerous offender, a convict's file is reviewed by the National Parole Board seven years after conviction and every two years after that. The odds of release are historically slim. Svekla's lawyer, Mona Duckett, had agreed that her client was dangerous, but she said he had promised to rehabilitate, so she argued that he could be declared a long-term offender instead. That means he would have eventually been released on parole and closely supervised in the community for up to 10 years. Any breach of the law would have landed him back in prison. Crown Prosecutor Ashley Finsland told court that Svekla's history of violent sex attacks showed that he cannot control his dangerous impulses, a key element in dangerous offender application. At the hearing, five women from his past testified to his violent behavior, which included choking and punching. Svekla is already serving a 17-year prison sentence after being convicted in a 2008 in second-degree murder of a prostitute, Teresa Inez, but his violent record of allegations and convictions stretches back much further than that. He grew up in Vegreville, east of Edmonton, the youngest of seven in a violent home. He turned to drugs and alcohol early. When he was 14, he pushed a schoolmate against a wall, pinning her there, and tried to strip off her clothes. She testified against him at the dangerous offender hearing. Three years later, he got into a fight with his friend's sister. He chased her throughout the house, pinned her to the floor, choked her, and tried to tear her pants off and rape her, but fled when he thought the others would show up. He later bragged to a friend she was the first to see the boogeyman. At age 25, he was convicted of assaulting a prostitute. When he was 27, he abused a five-year-old girl who was a ward of his girlfriend. Court heard that he was brazenly cruel to the girl. He once attacked her under a blanket in the living room while other foster children sat nearby watching cartoons on TV. He also attacked her on the couch or in her bed, stopping in the middle of one encounter to answer a phone call. He was also convicted of molesting the girlfriend's natural daughter, who was nine at the time. The girlfriend told court Svekla later phoned her from prison, locked up, and tauntingly told her that the foster child was better in bed than her preteen daughter. Svekla was in charge and convicted with the attacks on the children for more than a decade when he came to the attention of police investigating a string of prostitute slayings in and around the Alberta capital. In the meantime, his inerritant lifestyle continued into his 30s, a hazy world of drinking binges and cocaine jags. 
In 2004, at age 36, he drove out to the bushland of Edmonton's eastern outskirts with a front to smoke crack. There he told police he came across the corpse of 19-year-old prostitute Rachel Quinney. Her bug-eaten body was splayed out nude, face up, her breasts and genitals cut off. Police were suspicious but cleared him for lack of evidence. He then moved 700 kilometers north to a remote Alberta community of high level where a year later he attacked a woman who had invited him in for drinks in her basement suite. At trial, the victim said he grabbed her by the throat, pulled her hair, sexually assaulted her, threatened to break her neck and hide her body where it would never be found. By 2006, Fekla had befriended a prostitute named Teresa Inez. The 36-year-old mother of two would prowl the high-level bars looking to sell her body to pay for drugs. Friends remembered seeing her smoke crack with Svekla. In March of that year, her mother reported her missing. By May, Svekla had left high-level and returned to visit family in Edmonton. He brought with him a heavy hockey bag. He told everyone it contained compost worms, yet guarded it very jealously. His sister became suspicious. One day when he was out, she opened the bag to find the remains of Ines. She called the police. The body was trussed up so tightly with metal wire and coils, it took the coroner an hour to free it for inspection. Svekla's murder trial in 2008 revealed a violent man whose world was wrapped in lies. He proclaimed innocence and persecution. It also bragged about being a serial killer like British Columbia's infamous Robert Picton, who lured women from Vancouver's east side and murdered them on his pig farm. Svekla was a moth drawn to the flame of his no notoriety. When he was arrested for Inez's murder, handcuffed and paraded to the sw squad car, he smiled and waved for the media cameras. As he waited for his trial, he granted multiple media interviews against the advice of his lawyers. He openly fantasized about the book and movie deals that would flow from his exoneration. Police charged him with Quinney's death too, but the evidence was no better in 2008 than it was in 2006, and he was acquitted. Wiretap phone conversations between a man accused of killing two prostitutes and his family showed that he laughed off any comparison to the character of serial killer Hannibal Lecter from the movie Silence of the Lambs. Thomas Fekla also talked about the wrongful conviction of David Milgard and the malicious prosecution case of Jason Dix. In September 16, 2006, a phone call conversation between his sister Sharon, Svekla talked about Edmonton area man Jason Dix suing the RCMP for malicious prosecution after having two murder charges dismissed and said, I'm going to get at least a million. In September 20th, intercepted call between Svekla and his sister Susan, he talked about RCMP profiler who came from Ottawa to see him. I said, you better leave, man, because this isn't a movie and I'm not Hannibal Lecter, said Svekla, laughing. In an October 5th call to his sister Marianne, Svekla said he would be like David Milgard, who was awarded $10 million after spending 23 years behind bars for murder he did not commit. Svekla was also re recorded speaking about family members who had talked to RCMP investigators with Project Care and complaining about sisters Sharon and Donna making statements. Don't say a word to them, Mom, Svekla said to his mother, Emily, during an October 1st visit to the Edmonton Remand Center. They're making me out to be a really bad guy. Svekla is the first person charged by Project Care, a task force investigating the deaths and disappearances of people with high-risk lifestyles. And remember, someone always knows something. 
Thanks for listening. This is part of the ACAST Production Network.